Hi, uh, I am Danny, and I'm a compulsive reader. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm nervous to be here because I listen to these podcasts um, in my kitchen. It gets me through the cooking hour. And, uh, and now I'm actually that person. And, uh, okay, so I have been in Ovaries Anonymous more than half my life. I came in here 28 years ago, and I came to this meeting when it was on Robertson. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about this uh, little speech here because uh, I'm, I'm, I like to be perfect. And, um, and I've been thinking about that, that this will date me, but that movie, To Sir With Love, you know, and how do you thank someone who has taken you from ragdolls to perfume? Um, because uh, I really don't know how to uh, do justice to this program because it has um, completely uh, formed and transformed my life. So, um, you know, the way... Uh, I was going to make a joke like, oh, I just have people at home, like, I, I really, I, I wish I could lose five pounds more, but, um, I, and I, I am at my birth weight, I mean my goal weight, <laughs> and really, what's the difference? Um, and, uh, so, but I won't make that joke, I mean, I made that joke, so fine, I did it. Um, because, and then I thought, oh, well, I don't want to just be funny, because, uh, this is actually has, uh, has had such a profound effect on my life, and it is my instinct to be funny. But, um, okay, so what it was like. So I came in here, and I lived on Laurel and Fountain in West Hollywood in one room on a futon, and I ate popcorn, and I stared at the wall. Um, I came here for work, and then work ended, and I really knew, like, three people. I came here from New York. And... Uh, and one of those three people called me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm eating popcorn and staring at the wall. <laughs> um, and don't interrupt me. And then she said, well, why don't you come out? I'm going, I think maybe you could use some help. I'm going to something called Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to go to anything that sounds like that. And... Um, uh, so just that story, I grew up with a mother who her whole life definition was what she weighed and she was always on diets and she was always thinking about her weight and my sister's weight and my weight less so because my sister's weight was such a big focus that I kind of just got the residual of that or whatever the word is. Shrapnel of that. It's a better word. Um, and uh, so I knew that the only way to be lovable was to be thin. That message was very clear. And so uh, that was a great. I always say that I was raised uh, with the expression, you can never be too rich or too thin. That's how you get a woman with an eating disorder who's terrified of money. <laughs> uh, so... I, uh, and that's all true. It's all true. Everything I will say is true. Um, and so, uh, okay, so where am I? So, right. So, what I basically spent a lot of years doing, all the years until I got here, was running either to the food or away from the food. That's not really special. I've heard that from a lot of people in here. Um, you know, uh, food was my comfort, and then it was my albatross. So, uh, and then when I came to Hollywood and I was pursuing the arts, as it were, and by arts I mean trying to be an actress, and um, 
I had never seen so many thin people in one place, and uh, it totally triggered me. And all I, you know, that's all I thought about that and work, and you know, and um, hence the strength wall and popcorn. Now, the other backstory part of it is, and I, I, I say this because um, I think it's a really import, uh, important part of the fabric of of uh, many compulsive readers is I was sexually abused or whatever, molested at um, I think eight. And, um, and so what happened, it wasn't a big drama, it wasn't multiple, well, it was a big drama, <laughs> that's typical of me, it was nothing, uh, but it, uh, it wasn't repeated, it wasn't my uncle, it, w- it was just an incident that occurred, but it, af- I, it affected my relationship with sexuality to such a degree that then when I became, you know, uh, adolescent and all that, so then I, that's when the weight really came on because I was in circumstances that were sexual and I couldn't handle it and I was having flashbacks and all of that joyful stuff. And um, so I do think, so the weight came on. So sexuality and weight are, are, were, I would say I, I, it's pretty released now, but were for many, many decades uh, intertwined. Um, and so... Uh, Point being, so when I went to, uh, I was kind of a fat, smart girl in high school, and then I was going to college, and I decided I didn't want to be that person anymore. I wanted to be like the hot chick. So I went to this, and I do want to, I went to this thing called Learn to Be Thin, which in 1980 was like the the precursor actually to this way of thinking because. They actually had you write, you know, what are you thinking, what are you feeling while you're eating. Like there was a relationship created or an awareness brought to the fact that when you're eating, perhaps there's other things going on than nutrition. And so I went to college and I was the hot chick. And uh, within a couple months, I was like so bored. And um, it really was, it, it, it wasn't very much fun because they don't really want you to talk when you're the hot chick. Like I was, I was miscast. So I, uh, so I started eating a lot because I always love eating. Who does love eating? That's why we're here. Um, and so, uh, so then that kind of started like a binge purge thing. But I wasn't really the purger with the throwing up. I was an exercise. There are people that claim they've didn't ever see me not in sweatpants in college because I was always running to the gym my way through. Um, okay, so, okay, I don't want to dwell too much on that. Then I went to New York City uh, to become an actor, you know, to start that whole path, and, uh, and then I got very sick. Oh, that's the part of the story. So I was a waitress, and I uh, passed out holding a tip tray one night, and, uh, and they sent me home, and then thus began this, like, crazy virus that they couldn't figure out what it was, and basically, I would try to get up every day, and then I couldn't. And um, this was like the mid to late 80s, and uh, a lot of people, like my mother, thought I had AIDS. <laughs> and um, I know it's not a laugh line, but but it was just a little absurd. But uh, and and so anyway, it turned out that I that I had a swollen liver because uh, someone told me that if you drink a lot and you don't eat, that's okay. So I drank a lot of alcohol and didn't eat very much. And, um, and that's how you get a swollen liver. So they said I couldn't drink for a year. And then I started, here's the thing, and then I was so humbled by this illness, virus, that I started wandering up to this temple on the Upper West Side. Now, I was born Jewish, two Jewish parents, but we were Christmas tree Jews. So no Judaism, no belief in God, no, 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 no. Holocaust defined, you know, took away. There was no God. So, um, 
so nobody ever talked about God. But I've always been a seeker. That was me. I went, I, I quickly uh, fell in love with theater, and so theater became my uh, place of worship. I was always in theaters. I would go sit in dark theaters by myself. I love theater. So, uh, so okay. So I started wandering to this temple on the Upper West Side, and suddenly I learned, oh, wow, like Judaism could actually be a source of comfort and all these other things that religion can be. So, um even though I don't like the rules. I still don't like the rules. But, uh, so, okay. So then I have $300 and I moved to L.A. So now we're caught up. I'm in L.A. I'm staring at the wall. I'm eating popcorn. And my friend says, come to L.A. I say no. Then she says, okay, meet me for dinner at the Figaro Cafe. For those of you who are locals, the Figaro on Melrose. There was like a meeting at Thalians at 8 o'clock. And all the eating disorder people were at Figaro Cafe at 7, having steamed vegetables and brown rice. And, and so I met my friend and we did that and um, and then she said and now you should come with me I'm going to go to the meeting and I was like oh, I'm so I have a lot of popcorn at home and I'm not doing that and she said just come just come and she's funny and so I went with her and I walked into Thalians and it was two male speakers my big fear of course was my mother I was going to go and there was going to be some woman whining about her weight and her calories and you know Donna Karen and I didn't want to witness that but it turned out it was these two highly articulate men talking about God and it was like 400 it felt like there were 400 people in the room it was probably 150 but it felt like this huge thing and um, and I just couldn't believe it it was like this alternate universe of people who had this like eight in a crazy way and were seeking God it just was such a you know so I hid um, when they said, does anybody, uh, you know, knew, and I went under the chair. And then uh, the next morning, I got up and I went to the meeting on this meeting, this meeting that used to be over there on Robertson. And I heard a speaker, and she was incredibly articulate and um, wise and talked about the food, but as a way in, you know, her, and so I was hooked. So... I, I always think, what's buzzing? Somebody's buzzing. Um, I always think that I was most, uh, I was most abstinent that first year. And, that, oh, wow, okay, something very important is happening. Um, I was most abstinent that first year and, like, at year 10. Because I don't want any, I, so I've been here, as I said, like 28 years. So I don't want any, it has not been perfect. I, uh, I, I, I have a struggling relationship with food. Some years, it's better than others. Um, but um, that first year, I, I have headshots from that first year, and I look like one of those um, stand-up-and-cheer uh, revival kids. Like, I'm like, I'm so happy. I look like I have found the way. All those headshots look like that. Because um, I had really found the way. I couldn't believe it. Um, and... And I couldn't believe that there was a way, a structure for having a relationship with God and for pursuing a relationship with a higher power, if you will, that didn't involve uh, a us and them mentality of religion because I really bristle at that. And I also, as I said, I don't like rules. I don't like you have to do it this way or God's not available to you. Um, and so that kind of kept me, you know, out of religion. Plus the whole, like, uh, had a history of a lot of anti-Semitism and all that. So obviously that's not anything uh, joyful. Um, so I was completely hooked. Okay. And so then I, I had a sponsor. I started sponsoring people. 
Um, I also started talking a lot in groups. At that point, I was still an actor, and I started, and everybody would laugh all the time at everything I said, even when I was like very dark. And, um, and I knew a lot of comedians in the rooms, and they were like, you should not be waiting tables, you should be a comedian. So I became a comedian. Uh, it wasn't like, I was a comedian. I mean, you know, like 25 years later, I'm a comedian. Uh, it took a lot of work. Um, and, and then, um, but before that, actually, uh, I went on the road. I travel a lot. So I went on the road with a couple of shows, and I was, I would always go and find the meetings wherever I land I find the meetings um, and I think it's such a fantastic way to learn about the fabric of the community when you're on the road go to your meetings you hear what people are concerned about and what they're eating over you know um, and uh, so that was a really important part so then okay I gotta, I gotta move this along so then my father got diagnosed with terminal cancer it's kind of the greatest hits of tragedy in my life. I'm just saying, like, hang on. <laughs> so then he got diagnosed with terminal cancer, and I was on the road, and I, because I was whatever it was meant to be, I had an apartment in New York, and so he, while he was dying, I was able to be with him and have my own space. And then the other piece of that is that um, the morning that he died, uh, they, he was on hospice, and they had... Um, they can call death within hours, the experts. And so they called me and said, your father's going to be dead in two hours. And I said, I know. And I said, okay. And the, the beauty of that, and why I will never leave this program, in addition to the most recent events, uh, is that I was sober and abstinent and in my own bed that morning to get that call. And that was a miracle. Uh, I was not that kind of gal. I wasn't often sober and absent in my own bed. Of, of, of my own volition, that would not be the case. So um, I got dressed. I put on nice clothes. And I went over. And I was able to sit with my father and watch him, you know, take his last breath. And uh, I credit the program for that. Because I, uh, it was really, obviously, a powerful experience that I would have missed. And, um, okay, so there's that. Then, also, um, I did finally find someone to marry, which truly a miracle. Uh, I never really stayed with anybody more than uh, six months. And then I met this person, and he was a great listener, and he really believed in this work. Like, he really believed in the program. He really believes in uh, seeking a spiritual life. So, and he's funny and great and, you know, very young. No. And I just, I just say that to make you guys laugh. But he is young. And, um, and then we get married and, you know, I have a first child almost accidentally because we were trying and then suddenly I was pregnant. And, and that was very shocking. And uh, I didn't enjoy gaining the weight. I was a nervous wreck. But, and I was always just nervous that the thing was going to die and then I would have fallen in love with it and that would be so sad. And, but then it didn't die and I loved it. And, and then I wanted to have another one right away. So, and then I went on an infertility journey because I was already 42. Um, and so I bring that up only because, like, I had to, a lot of that experience was taking action and letting go of the results. If anyone's ever gone through fertility, like, that's the deal. Like, you do all these, you do every insane thing that somebody tells you to do, and then you have to keep showing up and letting go of whether it'll ever be good or not. And, um... I was very blessed. So now I have two crazy boys who fight all the time, and I love them madly. And, okay, so 
uh, four years ago. The reason why this is important is because I want to binge eat and stare at the wall all the time. That's my instinct. So the fact that I have a life today that is this like crazy, complicated, lots of people I live with that bother me, like that is the gift. And I need to remember that. Uh, four years ago, I got a phone call from uh, my, mother who, my mother's friend who lived in New York saying, your mother's yelling at waiters and she's going to banks and ripping things up and she got to come. So, okay, so that began the Alzheimer's journey and that's where we are right now. Um, I recently moved here, here from New York City uh, and here's the thing, whenever I go to New York City, I go to meetings, first thing I do, I know where all the meetings are. Um, I flew there against everyone's uh, choice. My sister, the caregivers, the doctors, everyone said, don't do it. And I knew it was the right thing to do. Um, she was living alone in an apartment with round-the-clock care, costing an exorbitant amount of money that she was running out of, and she was completely isolated. And um, I kept praying about it, and I kept talking about it, but mostly, I was just very clear that she needed to get out of there. And so, I flew to New York on a Thursday. I booked so many things. Like, there were three seats in a row on the front row of an air. Like, it, so many things made this feel like, I got I to gotta do this. I got to do this. And every step of the way, uh, so I flew to New York. She was, like, in the fetal position. And um, I'm not talking about the program enough, and I'm aware of that. So, I'm going to get to it very soon but this is all it's all because of the program that I'm able to show up in the way that I do in my life it doesn't make me rich and famous it just makes me a person who shows up and is present for the real stuff of life that is not fancy or even you know fun um, and so she was like in the fetal position and ashen and the, a, the caregivers, God bless them all. They did not want to lose their jobs. God bless them all. Um, and she, well, I don't know why you want to do that. I wouldn't do, you know, no one think. So in a couple hours she was alert and fine and I got her and, on the, and I said, mom, and she doesn't remember very much, you know, obviously. And I said, tomorrow I'm coming to get you and we're going to see your grandsons. And she said, oh. And then, uh, uh, and apparently she'd been sleeping till noon every day and never leaving the house and the next morning when I got there the aide said she's been up since five and she's dressed and she's in her she's ready to go so we got there and uh, it wasn't easy it wasn't fun I took an aide with me now uh, we got here we got here we had the most miraculous we had a cab driver who was like God, go with God. You know, there were all these people talking about God along the way. And um, we landed. She's here. She's at Silverado. If anybody wants to go visit, you know, old crazy people, they're there. And, <laughs> and what I love about this particular place is there's no shame. It also fully supports my philosophy. Like a lot of um, these places are like, Shh, don't tell anyone that's the memory care unit over there. And uh, this place is not like that. This is and everything I learned here about taking the shame out of the human condition is I witness when I go there. And that's why it was so important to me. Um, 
She's there. She's not always happy. She doesn't know what day it is. But some days she laughs and she is happy. And it's beautiful and they care for her and it's affordable and she will live out her life there. And my children visit her and we visit her. And it was the right decision. She's eating on her own and walking and like things that she hadn't done for a year. So, and that, I was only able to do that because, uh, because of everything I've learned here that you show up and you ask God for help and you ask people for help. And, um, now, in terms of the program, I have had a lot of different sponsors. Is that five minutes? Oh, perfect. Okay. I've had a lot of sponsors. I would say I am a difficult sponsee. Um, I love what you have to say, and I will do as much of it as I want to. <laughs> and uh, that is not an effective way to work a program. But I, uh, I have gotten tremendous help. I had no uh, relationship with my sister, and... I had a sponsor for a time, and she said, write a 10th step on your sister. And um, I mean, when I say no relationship, I mean I hired a mediator to, to manage this. Did a 10th step on it. That was about eight months ago. Today, uh, it was a miraculous experience. Today, my sister and I talk regularly. We're managing my mother together. The mediator has been let go. Like, there, there are miraculous uh, experiences in this program. The tools are here, and I fully, wholly believe that. I would not be married if I were not in a program because every day I'm mad about something. And, uh, and I get to talk to a, a sponsor, and I get to make gratitude lists and uh, let go of my relentless need for perfection in every area of my life. Um, so now I have a new sponsor, and here's the thing. This sponsor is not my friend. And I think it's a difficult relationship, the sponsor-sponsee relationship, in terms of that boundary of someone becoming, you know, it's easy for the person who you're sharing all this information with to become a friend. This woman is not my friend. Um, she just gives me direction, and, uh, and I take it, because she has, like, 100 years in the program, and she goes to three meetings a day, and I just think she's... Like, talk about someone who has what I want. Like, she's always happy. I don't get it. But she's always happy, and I love it. And so uh, that's been miraculous. In terms of um, prayer and meditation, I learned to meditate in this room. Not this room, but there's... Uh, I first started meditating. There's a 7.30 meeting, uh, I want to say, on Mondays at Witsit in the valley. And there's a, it opens and closes with five minutes of meditation. And that was my first introduction to meditation. And now I actually pursue that. I have, I will set a timer for 10, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on where the kids are. And, uh, and it really does work to calm me down. I really do believe in it. I wish I did it more. I do it imperfectly. But I have an understanding of what it is today. Um, my food, I do still struggle with food. Um, I'm so sorry for people who wanted to hear that I walked in the door and never cared about food again. Not my experience. Um, I, uh, I've been willing to give up certain things at various times. When I don't eat sugar, I have a better life. It's just true. I'm more present. I'm more available. Um, sometimes I still need the comfort of food, but I don't throw up. That's my thing. Don't throw up. Don't, don't eat so much that you have to throw up. Uh, that did happen on Thanksgiving four years ago, and, um, you know, that is my bottom, bottom line. I wish that I ate three meals of steamed vegetables and had an apple every day. That's what I wish that I did, and I don't do that. Um, 
I also, though, I think I'm conscious of not using a food plan to further isolate me from the world because I already am someone who's an isolator. My work, I work alone. I write. Um, oh yeah, I wrote two books in that interim as well. So uh, uh, and. So I work a lot alone. So I don't need to also have a food plan that I can only eat in my uh, kitchen. I, I really try to be with people when I don't want to be with people because here's the conundrum that I uh, people really bother me and I really just want to be alone and then I get alone and I've been in hotel rooms all across the country. I did a 15 city tour last year and uh, you know and then I'm and I'm in the hotel room by myself and guess what? I'm so lonely. Why am I so lonely in my hotel room? Why? Um, you know so I think there's a lot of conflict uh, you know and complication um, you know, when you have this uh, uh, disease, as it were, I, I, I resist that word, but yes, um, because it's like you're always at odds with yourself. And I think that the, the gift of it is that because we're people who are complicated and always at odds with ourselves, we have to do this kind of work. And my experience is that that really is the gift. That's what I understand today, that I do understand when people say I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. Um, I, you know, the experience of taking my mother across the country and the experience of being present, thank you, uh, for my father, I say, oh, right, I'm, I'm grateful because without the tools and all of the people across the country uh, that, that, that work this program additionally um, and a relationship with God and being constantly heard, take it to God, take it to God, have you talked to God, have you prayed to God, um, that is what has given me the courage uh, to show up for my life consistently and have as much love in my life as I do. And I think I'm going to end on that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Atisha. This is time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Who has a question? Anybody have a question? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, I, uh, what? Oh, I have to repeat the, I'm repeating the question. Um, uh, the way that, the question is, how do I sponsor? So I have uh, one sponsee at, at the current time, and I would say that I don't, I'm, I listen to her and I give her guidance that's usually God-related. I often direct back, to, either back to the good book or back to a prayer or an exercise. Um, this week we were writing a want ad for what God would look like for you. So I try to give direction that way, but I do a lot of listening and a lot of um, trying to always bring it back to self-care also, always to say, okay, well, what... what it, making it very concrete so on the one hand directing to like a spiritual path but also it is OA so you know and I think it's really easy to just talk about well it's not easy none of it's easy but uh, you can get caught up in this in all of the spiritual and not address 
the physical and the emotional as well. So I would say I try to always take it back to, okay, I hear you, and always come from compassion, and then say, okay, but what are you doing today to be in the solution? Because I don't want it to be just, you know, uh, a, a cry fest, as I, or whatever, it can be a cry fest, I guess, but also to just take action. So it's important to, it's a, it's a big job to be a sponsor. Because you listen, you show up, you're present, and then you also have to guide someone. And uh, that's what I try to do. And I, I, I really am, I love my sponsor. I, we, you know, we're kind of walking the walk together. So, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, you're obviously smart. Uh, you know, thank you. Uh, but for this program, I think it's important for all of us to understand intelligence is not a virtue, it's a tool. And how have you gotten there as you've gotten there? Oh, so the question is, being as smart as I am, uh, how have I gotten to, I guess what you're asking is like letting go of that and being spiritual, like surrendering? Yes. Yes. Well, that's a wonderful question. Uh, I think that I've had enough uh, circumstances and situations in my life where I've seen that where I thought I was 100% right about something, I wasn't that I have enough humility now. My instinct is always going to be that I'm right, but, uh, but I know enough now that I am open to the possibility that I'm not. And, uh, and so I do ask for the humility to accept that there might be another, uh, an, another way of looking at things. And I would say one of the best examples of that is uh, in a marriage, you know, uh, in my marriage anyway, we have differing points of view at times. And, uh, and we're both very strong-willed. And at, and at a certain point, we were in therapy uh, at, at several points. And, um, and what I realized about it is the, great, the best part about going into therapy as a couple is uh, realizing that there's a third point of view. There's his point of view, there's my point of view, and then you go talk to a third person, and lo and behold, there's a third point of view. And so, if there's a third point of view, chances are there's probably even another point of view. So the point being that not, nobody is right. It's just how you choose to show up. And, uh, and so it has been, I think that you, uh, I think you're right, I was a very smart kid. And so that, I was a smarter kid than I am a grown-up. And, um, and that is somewhat of a detriment because you always think you're right because your intelligence was your lifeline, you know. And, uh, and so to, I think it is a struggle. I think it is, you know, it has been part of my journey is not thinking I'm right and, or not always thinking I'm right and, and asking God, you know, really kind of going a little deeper on it. Thank you for asking that question. Yeah. Um, do I have an action plan around food and spiritual upkeep? So, when I travel, I'm actually much better behaved than when I'm in, uh, in my home. Uh, because I know that I got to fortify. Because I'm on my own, I'm in a strange place. So, as I said, when I travel, I find the meetings immediately. Um, I have a funny story about landing in Memphis and having the hotel driver take me to this meeting at a church and he was like very worried about me because it was so isolated and turns out he had good reason to be. But, uh, <laughs> but 
But the point is, I went to the meeting, and uh, and um, so I write a lot. I write my, uh, you know, just my dear God, checking in. This is where I'm at. And in terms of the food, I'm super disciplined about food when I'm on the road because I have to perform. So. I stay away from white sugar and white flour. I eat actual meals. So I guess it's three meals a day and two snacks. And um, I'm just more clear that um, where at, at home it gets very, it can get very murky. So I'd say my action plan is much more clear when I'm. On, I'm also only taking care of me. So uh, I, you know, that's that's kind of a gift is I only have to worry about me but I'm I'm very serious about all of my program stuff and my exercise I got to go someplace where there's a gym so um, so I would say the answer is yes I do have an action plan and it's very specific uh, on the road yes yes thank you really oh, oh. Um, so I've had like two questions I'm trying to break them down you, you have a whole life with kids and a career and a husband and, uh, and also the shit hits the fan, like with your mom and, and your dad and stuff. Yeah. And so how do you go to God? You know, it's hard enough when things are okay, but when the shit hits the fan, mm. you know, the faith kind of wavers a mm. little bit. Mm. And then also with the balance with somebody who just wants to eat and watch TV and stay in bed, mm. how do you go to God, you know, in both those situations? Because those are... So how, the question is, how do you go to God with a full, busy life when the uh, proverbial shoot, can I say shoot, I don't know, uh, hits the fan? Um, okay, so the, my first answer to you is, well, I do have children who, you know, hit me if I don't get out of bed. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's that. I have to show up for kids, and that's a blessing. Um, uh, I think... How do I want to answer this? So I recently went to a support group for Alzheimer's. This is how I'll answer it. And I listened to, these are non-program people, and I listened to them, and I felt so sad that they didn't have a program and a spirit, and like a higher power that they had a relationship with because they felt so mired in the pain. Whereas I feel like we are taught here, of course you're going to have pain, but if you have a community, if you have a sponsor, if you have a home meeting, like, you're just not going to sit in it for too long. My experience, you know, and might be my nature, too. But I think anybody who walks in, like, we're here because we choose to be here. So anybody who has the courage to walk in these rooms, uh, again, I think it, it involves creating a support group for yourself so that, you know, if some of, I go to a lot of meetings, those 730 meetings in the Valley, and if, I'm sure if I didn't show up for two weeks, somebody would call and say what's going on. Um, but more importantly, I think I've had so much shit hit the fan, and I don't mean that in a self-pitying way, that's just the way my life rolls, that I, it's a reflex now. I go to a meeting, even in my worst staring at the wall days, since those early staring at the wall days, I go to a meeting. It's a habit. And I think once you go to a meeting, even in your darkest, you're at a meeting, you're hearing people who want to get better, who don't want to sit in it. And, um, and that's inspiring. So I guess I really rely on the program, no matter when I go to a meeting. Even if I don't want to, if I'm in my pajamas, if I'm crying, I go and I sit there. And inevitably, once you sit there and you start hearing people being, searching for a way out, it's inspiring. So I think that
you know, I've been lucky. That's why I say I'm lucky. I came in here, you know, 26, and I have never left, even through, you know, I've always gone to one meeting a week, even when I, you know, didn't, uh, it's dark, it's never going to get better, you know, that was just last week, so, <laughs> I, I, I keep showing up, you know, yeah, in the back, yes. Oh, that's a great question. Do I attend, do a 10 step every night? So I don't do it every night, but I do have on my desktop a 10 step template that a sponsor a couple of years ago gave me. And when I'm really in a, I mean, I try to do it regularly, but I definitely do it uh, when I can't sleep or when uh, something is aggravating me. I definitely do it and it definitely works. So I highly recommend that. It's just a list of questions. And, uh, and it always directs back to, you know, what did you do for your program today? Where were you of service? What are you grateful for? And what did you do right? I think there's like a question, what did you do right? Because I can never see that unless somebody asks me that. Uh, and, you know, so uh, that's a great question. I'm a big believer in 10-step, big believer in that. So thank you. Yes. Did you have a question? How has my higher power? Oh, oh. Uh, okay, so the question is, how has my relationship with God uh, influenced or not influenced my family members? If I'm hearing you, uh, I would have to say not at all. <laughs> uh, they're not really interested in my program. <laughs> But my sister, uh, interestingly, has become, she does talk about, like, spiritual matters. And uh, so that's kind of interesting that she found her way. Uh, and I do think that that has helped her. But, uh, but no, I'm, they don't understand my whole program thing and never have and, and now never will. And uh, that's okay. I don't, I don't need them to. They only need it to work for me. So... Uh, yeah, I don't come from anything relying on any one kind of energy. Oh, well, she did, but having nothing to do with me. She just found her own way, and, and I think that's, that's wonderful. So I'm able to recognize that, so that's wonderful. I think we have time for one more question. No? Yes.
Oh, you mean like my husband and kids. Okay, so the question is how supportive is my family? Uh, I am very lucky that my husband is very, very supportive. Very, very supportive. His mother died of alcoholism. So he's very, very supportive that I go to meetings and... Um, and he will say if I'm eating cereal is like the big red light food for me. So if I, he sees me eating cereal, it's a whole, <laughs> gotta call someone. Um, <laughs> like, you know, even like an innocent bowl of cereal. There's no such thing as an innocent bowl of cereal in my house. It's got like, oh, mommy's in trouble. And uh, so, and the kids know, and I'm, you know, it'll be interesting to see. They've grown up very much around half my friends, you know, they're either comedians or in the program or both. So they've grown up really around it a lot. And they're very comfortable with it. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I think it's great. And should they ever, you know, need that kind of support, they'll, you know, they won't, there's no shame. We're just not a shame household. So, uh, you know, it's all good. And I am very lucky. And I guess that was by design. You know, I went out with a lot of people and uh, the one that I landed on is someone who could support this so I guess that really was a priority for me thank you for asking okay now what do we oh two more minutes someone anyone yes I have a question I heard you say uh, sober and abstinent do you work in AA program or is that just part of your Um. okay so do I work in AA program I am sober and abstinent uh if I'm being honest, I don't work a rigorous AA program. True. I do go to AA meetings. Um, and particularly I have found like when my father, when it's like death related, when my father was dying, I went to a lot of AA and now I'm back going to AA. I don't know why. I just need to like, the, I, don't, I need the reinforcement. And yeah, and I make oh, AA phone calls. Oh my gosh, I have time to tell this one quick story. Okay, I'll just tell this one quickly. So I was going to drink like last year. I was dealing with my mother. And I, and I saw a woman at OA at 7.30. And then um, and I was like, I'm just going to call Martha because she just saw me. And she's in AA. And she'll know that I doesn't want. I'll just make that one phone call before I drink at 5. So I call. And I go, hi, Martha, it's Sammy. I saw you this morning. And um, I really don't want to drink. And um, I'm just saying that I really don't want to drink. And I hear this. Uh-oh, really? Who, who is this? And I was like, oh, no, no. And I had the phone, and then I looked at my phone, and it was Martha, the acting teacher at my kid's school. Genius. Genius. So then I have to make, like, three other phone calls to AA people. Forget about a drink. I've got to, like, you know. So I call this one woman, and she starts laughing, and she's like, well, you could call her back. And you could tell her it was a mistake, or you could just ignore it. And it, either way, you know, the, the mark that I called is like 83. So I say, fuck it, I'm going to call her back. So I call her, and I say, Martha, it's Danny, Gabriel and Gideon's mom. And um, I'm in the program, and I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to drink. And I just, you know, I'm fine. And, um, and she said, oh, well... That's, it's so interesting because I had three people from AA in my living room and I couldn't understand why you were calling me. And, and then we had this amazing conversation. Her mother died of Alzheimer's in New Jersey and she was giving me all this like information and it was just like this crazy, crazy God. Like, you know, how could I drink when I can have those experiences? And, you know, that's been my experience in the program. Like, 
if you can have experiences like that, why would you want to be so binged out or whatever? And uh, that was a miracle. I've had so many miracles, and I guess I'm going to close on that. Thank you. That was a great show. Okay.